Have you ever had such an awful day? Everything was spinning out of control. Have you ever had such a day that you just audibly groaned? That is an evidence that you are the subject of futility. You are living in a world God never designed you to live in. And without a creator, you have no way to explain that. Your life is hopeless and purposeless and meaningless and random. And if you don't believe in, cre in a creator, you have nowhere to turn on that day when things are falling apart. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Today, we'll pick up in part two of the message, Be Bold About the Origins of Man. In today's message, Pastor Trent will give internal evidences from Scripture and external evidences from the world around us to help us boldly believe what God has said about His creation, about the world we live in, and about ourselves. It's pretty safe to say he's not a big fan of evolution, but he does have a clarification. Here's Pastor Trent. Now, let me just say this. As creationists, we do not deny microevolution has taken place. What the Bible restricts in a proper interpretation of the Bible is macroevolution. So microevolution is the fact that you can breed a dog and make smaller dogs. You can uh, breed a horse and make a stronger horse. You just can't make a horse from a dog. That's macroevolution, okay? So we understand there's all kinds of variation. We're not denying that that has happened. So remember back to your eighth grade science class. I'll never forget, you know, I remember walking into my eighth grade science class and and, and learning, you know, from my eighth grade science textbook about evolution. Do you remember phrases like this? The universe began with a big bang about 13 billion years ago, and the stars formed about 10, years, 10 billion years ago. The sun formed about 5 billion years ago, and modern Earth, hmm, about 4.5 billion years ago. And, uh, of course, then water formed on the earth about 3.8 billion years ago and over millions and millions of years. Life formed from non-life, a little gap in the reasoning there somewhere along the way, but, but life formed from non-life. We just kind of assume, well, that must be true. Seriously, I mean, we've had PhDs and we've had people that write books and they're so much smarter than us and, and they, just, they just must know more than us. And well, who am I? I'm not a scientist, so I guess... I leave that to the scientist, and, and I guess I just have to believe that. But I also believe the Bible, so here, here's what we do. We end up creating some type of harmony between the Bible and so-called science, and we try to smash millions of years into the six days of creation. Can I just tell you this? As Christians, we are not afraid of science. Science, properly conducted, is simply the study of a book that God wrote without words. Understand this? God wrote two books, one without words and one with words. One we call general revelation that can be studied through the observation of the universe, and one we call specific revelation that can be studied by learning to read what God has written in the Bible. And we understand as Christians, 
There will be no final contradiction between God's book without words and God's book with words. And if there is an apparent contradiction between the two books, understanding God is not contradictory, that we are either misinterpreting what we're seeing in the book without words or misinterpreting the books we're seeing with words, ultimately, they say the same thing. Because God wrote both. Psalm chapter 19 tells it very clearly. The heavens, what we see in the universe, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge about what God has done. And so we're not afraid of studying science, but what so many people have done is tried to reduce what God has said in the authority of his book with words to give authority to what they think they see in the book without words. And so we end up doing crazy things in our theology. We invent things like theistic evolution. Do you know what I mean by that? It's the idea that God used evolution to create everything. There, there's tons of problems with that. Other people have said, well, Genesis was never really meant to be taken literally. It's more like poetry, and you just kind of have to... You, you're in a real conundrum if you start editing the Bible. Not only that, there are scientific problems with evolution. Can I just give you five of them very quickly? First of all, the fossil record. This is what Charles Darwin said about the fossil record. He asked a question. Why, if species have descended from other species, do we not everywhere see innumerable transitional forms in the fossil record? Why is it not all nature in confusion instead of species being, as we see them, well-defined? Let me tell you what he's saying. You study the fossil record. If evolution is the way all this happened you would expect to see in the fossil record fish and then like a frog-like fish and then a fish-like frog and then a frog. But if you look at the fossils, what do you see? Fish, frog. Where's everything in between? It's not there. And so Charles Darwin actually admitted, he said this, the fossil record is the most obvious and gravest objection which can be urged against my theory. Okay, let's go with that one. That's enough. Since you said that's a good one, let's use that one. It doesn't work. Or we could talk about the complexity of advantageous mutations. Evolution would say that all that we see as we've been upgraded from amoebas to human beings is the slight genetic changes that give us an advantage over those that didn't get the change. And so all you have to do is have an upgrade. You have to be a little stronger, you have to see a little better, you have to hear a little better, and then find somebody else to marry, and, and then have a baby that has that genetic change. And over millions of years of time, it just all keeps getting better and we're still evolving. Well, that's a problem. Because every genetic mutation would have to give an advantage and it, it doesn't work because 99.5% of all 
genetic mutations actually fuels extinction, not evolution. It actually would kill you. Let me, let me put it this way. There's a bug named the bombardier beetle. He's a handsome critter, don't you think? Now, let me tell you about the bombardier beetle. He has a defense mechanism in him that is absolutely amazing. Um, he has these two swivel cannons on his tail that he uses to shoot poisonous gas at 212 degrees at any potential predator that's coming along. So imagine a mean old army ant comes to drag Mr. Bombardier Beetle back home to his friends for a party. And this ant unsuspectingly sinks up and gets blown away by this toxic gas. Do you know what it takes for that to happen? If you take, if you take the chemicals inside the bombardier beetle, what you find is it has actually two distinct chemicals that if you take them out of the bombardier beetle and you put them together in a laboratory, they actually explode. They spontaneously combust. So the question is, why don't they blow up the beetle, right? Well, the beetle has an inhibitor enzyme. And it's not until these two chemicals go into the combustion chambers where he preloads his ammunition <laughs> that the chemical, uh, the, the, the inhibitor is removed and then he actually has the ability to aim and fire. He can go up, he can go down and move it directly toward his predator and then fire this stuff. It actually makes a boom and the stuff comes out at 212 degrees. Now, it doesn't kill the ant, but for a while it does kill the ant's appetite for the beetle. <laughs> Do you understand what would have to take place evolutionarily speaking in order for that to happen? What if the beetle would somehow develop the genetic mutation that would give him the two chemicals before he evolves the inhibitor? He'd blow himself up. <laughs> or what if he develops the two chemicals and the inhibitor without the ability to aim and fire his two swivel cannons? He just like blows it all over the place and he never hits his predator. Or what if, what if he develops the ability to aim and fire without anything to fire? He just fires blanks, gets eaten by the ant. It's not a good day either way if the beetle has been a product of evolution. But if you believe that God created the bombardier beetle with all of those working parts, with all of its complexity from the beginning, you understand what an amazing God we have as a creator. Here's another problem. The shrinking sun. Um, news report, weather report. Anybody want to know the weather today? Uh, here's, here's the weather report. Uh, today, the sun will shine, but not as bright as it did the day before because the sun today will actually shrink at a rate of five feet. And that's been happening every day. Every day, the sun shrinks five feet. So, um, if you extrapolate that four million years in the past, how, sun, how, how big would the sun be? Four million years ago, the sun would have been touching the earth. Statistics have shown um, 
most people would die <laughs> if the sun was touching the earth four million years ago. A great inhibitor to the product of evolution. Um, here's another problem, the, the drifting moon. Um, the moon is actually moving away from the earth at a rate of two inches per year. Four million years ago, the moon would have been so close to the earth that the earth would have been flooded by the gravitational pull of the tide that it would have flooded the continents twice every day. And statistics have shown that you can't survive one drowning a day. <laughs> and then here's, here's the best understanding. It's the scientific law of thermodynamics. Do you know about the laws of thermodynamics? There are two of them. The second law of thermodynamics, do you know about this? It's simply this, that everything in the universe tends toward disorder. It's called the law of entropy, okay? So you, you go through a drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, you get you a large Diet Coke, you sit in your car, you come back, you forget about it, you come back at the end of the day, what do you have? It's <laughs> like, there's no ice, there's no fizz. What happened? Second law of thermodynamics, everything in the Coke went from complex to simple. Everything went from order to disorder. That is a scientific law that is observable in the universe. There is no debate in the scientific community about the second law of thermodynamics. What do you do when a theory contradicts a law? Do you throw out the law or do you question the theory? You question theory. Did you know that the second law of thermodynamics actually proves what the Bible has to say? Because the Bible talks about the second law of thermodynamics in the Genesis account and all the way over in Romans as it gives a commentary on what Adam experienced in the creation. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Now, we read that God created it good, but it was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him, Adam, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The context of this is all hope. It's looking forward. Do you understand that what happened to the earth actually proves that there was a creator. In Romans chapter eight, it says in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we await eagerly the adoption of sons and the redemption of our bodies, for in this we were saved. Have you ever had such an awful day? Everything was spinning out of control. There was disease, there was death, there was chaos, there was calamity, there was heartbreak. Have you ever had such a day that you just audibly groaned? If you've ever had a day like that, that is an evidence that you are the subject of futility, the second law of thermodynamics, the curse. You are living in a world God never designed you to live in. And without a creator, you have no way to explain that. Your life is hopeless. 
and purposeless and meaningless and random. And if you don't believe in, cre- in a creator, you have nowhere to turn on that day when things are falling apart. I, simply put, I do not have enough faith to believe in evolution. With all of its gaps, with all of its holes, do you know it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe that a loving, intelligent designer created the world with purpose and hope and put you in the midst of it and wants you to know him? That's what we believe. And I got faith to believe that. Here's the last thing. Bold belief in the historical Adam is essential to grasping the gospel. Do you grasp the gospel? Listen, everything that we believe about the gospel finds its origin in the historical Adam. We can disagree about the age of the earth. If you want to appreciate and grasp the gospel, you must grasp a historical, literal Adam as it's recorded in the book of Genesis. Because from Adam flows the entire human race. Adam's historicity is foundational to every doctrine in the rest of the Bible. You can't even understand the Bible without grasping a historical account of Adam. And the Bible presents Adam as a single individual, not as a group of ancestors that evolved. The New Testament writers, all of them, agree that the Genesis account is to be taken literal. They all, not all of them, but the books that refer to the the first pages of Scripture, they all understand Adam to be a literal historical figure, including Jesus Christ. As he talked about this person named Adam, the first man who ever existed. So if you accept a historical Adam, you're unlocking the key to understanding the whole of Scripture. Without a historical Adam, we cannot understand our world. A real Adam accounts for the origin of real evil in the world. The world God created was very good, but the world that Adam created was very evil. And Adam, if Adam had never disobeyed God, do you understand that we would never have experienced death, cancer, Alzheimer's, orphans, human trafficking, refugees, terrorism, and a thousand other evils that are in this world. So where did it all come from? I want you to look at verse 17 in chapter 3, Genesis 3, 17. God is talking to Adam after he has sinned, and he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat cursed. Do you see the word? Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. And and you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. The introduction of death. Every time you go to a funeral, you understand you are experiencing the result that came from a real Adam committing real sin, introducing real death 
into the world that we live in, not the one that God designed us to live in. Without a historical Adam, you can't even understand your sin. If Adam is a fable, sin is a fable. If sin is a fable, the gospel is a fable. If a real Adam did not commit real sin, then we do not need a real Savior to provide real forgiveness, real grace, through dying a real death on a real cross. So we believe in a historical Adam. I want you uh, to look down at, at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam. Now, just stop and think about that. God's created Adam, put him in a perfect environment, gave him a perfect command. Adam rebels, disobeys, commits tyranny against the God of the universe, sets himself up, uh, sets himself up as God, and God lovingly, graciously, still comes after Adam. The Bible should have ended in verse 17. And yet, because God is a loving God, he came and made one more thing for Adam. Look at what it says in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Skins. Where did God get skins? From an animal? How did God get skin off an animal? An animal had to die. Death is the result of sin. On the third page of our Bible, we see that the price of sin is blood. And something has to give its life in order for Adam's sin to be covered. In order for our sin to be forgiven, someone had to die. A substitutionary death. That's what we see in verse 21. That's what the story of the rest of the Bible is about. We can't even understand our sin without a historical Adam. And without a historical Adam, we cannot even understand our salvation. I want you to look at Romans chapter 5. Again, the Apostle Paul is giving a commentary way back to what happened on the third page of the Bible. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who's the one man he's referring to? a literal historical Adam. Through that one man's real disobedience, the many were made sinners. Notice it doesn't say the many committed sins. It says the many were made sinners. Because of Adam's sin, and he was your great, 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 granddaddy, we have all ever since Adam been born natural born sinners. I'm not a sinner because I commit sins. I commit sins because I am a sinner. That means the answer to man's problem is not reforming his mind. The answer to man's problem is replacing man's heart. 
The heart of sin has to be taken out and it has to be replaced with a heart of righteousness. How did God get that done? Do you know what he did? He sent another Adam. Notice what it says in the second part of verse 19. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Who was the second Adam? Jesus Christ, verse 20, now the law came in to increase trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, that's the history of the human race, grace might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can't even understand our future without a historical Adam. You say, man, who cares what happened in the past? Listen, what happened in the past is a, is a foundation for what we know is going to happen in the future. Read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this statement, for as by a man death came, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. It's as if Paul sums up human history in two men. The first Adam rebelled against God, death came on all, and because we are found in Adam, we're all going to die. And the second man, Jesus Christ, came so that by believing in the second Adam, we can be connected to Christ and be found in Christ. Here's the reality. Here, here's the sum of the, everything we're saying. One day we're going to stand before our Creator. And He will determine whether we are good, not based on what we have done, but based upon what the first Adam did or the second Adam did. Either you will be found in Adam a disobedient sinner worthy of judgment, or you will be found in Christ a justified sinner made right because he obeyed in our place what we couldn't do ourselves. And on the cross, blood was shed so that our sin could be covered. That's why the first three pages are so important. And that's why the devil wants you to reject it. Because he hates the gospel. And he hates the shed blood of Christ. Do you have enough faith to believe? That a loving God created you with purpose and design? He wants you to know him. And he wants you to be found in Christ, the second Adam. you believe that? Have you embraced Christ by faith? Are you connected to Christ? I trust you are. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, as by a man death came, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, in today's message, Pastor Trent gave us a closer look at the historical Adam as the key to unlocking a better understanding of the world, of sin, of salvation, and of our future. So as in Adam's disobedience, all die, in Christ's obedience, all may live. 
Well, I hope you've been encouraged by today's message, and we'd love to invite you to visit us at Harvest Granger for one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. You can find us on Hickory Road in Granger, just north of University Park Mall. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for joining us today. And my prayer is that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.